We need to talk. Yes, good afternoon. It has just gone 12.30 here in the UK. Ladies and gents, and welcome along to the third edition of We Need to Talk, a marketing-related podcast that is to serious discourse, but recruitment is to serious business. My name is Michael John Oliver, and we have an absolute doozy of a show for you this afternoon. Jessica Ross will be joining us from Smashtag Social. We'll be talking about the things junior marketers need to know but are never told about, Later on, we'll be looking at the batshit insane world of B2B awards and whether or not they are worth our precious time and energy. And finally, we'll head down to the local for some pub chatter. Plus, if any of you have any questions for us, please submit them in the comments because we have issues, my friends, and we absolutely need to talk. We need to talk. But we start as we do every single episode with a trip to the mountaintop. Reject. And this is a tribute, my friends, a tribute to, to the 130 heroes out there, myself included, who were resoundly rejected this past week, cast asunder, tossed aside, consigned to the annuals of history. It breaks my heart to have to say this, but this is for all of us. All of us thought-leading rejects who submitted applications to speak at Birmingham's Recruitment Agency Expo, only to find out this week by email, of all things, that we had been rejected. And I thought I had made a really strong case. I mean, who doesn't want to listen to some self-aggrandizing Kiwi wax lyrical about content marketing for 30 minutes? But folks, I was just one of 150 applicants and the expo only had space for 26 and i'm i'm fine i'm fine with that i am ross geller level of fine i'm sure whoever you know got those speaking slots will deliver thought leadership on a on a scale that the people and most dolphins can hear and appreciate I'm thinking of the James Osbournes and the Anne Swains and the Neil Carberries and the Greg Savages and all the other plucky upstarts who have never been on stage before. So I'm, I'm sure that the their thoughts on the future of work and, and AI will be wonderful. And I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine with it. Let it be known that MJO handles rejection like a champion. You know, like a, like a winner. Because I'm not owned... No, I'm, I'm not owned. I'm not owned by this process. You're the one who's owned. Yeah, you're owned by expectation now. Yeah, the all-consuming dread that comes from having to prepare a valuable talk that will get people nodding and saying, yeah, that was a great session. Me? I don't have to worry about that. I'm free. I'm free to live my life. My October is now completely open. And I'm fine with it. I'm... Nanny Fran fine with this, I think. I hope. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm, I'm, I didn't, no, I can't. I can't. I can't deal with this. I'm not dealing with this. Please, 
Louise Triance and the recruitment agency expert Illuminati, please give me a second chance here. I, I mean, I can change. I can mouth breathe about ChatGPT as much as the next jabroni. I mean, I can do it. But if not, you know, that's fine. I'm fine. I'm finally cut. I'm I'm fine dining. I'm a parking fine. I'm finders keepers. I'm I'm just a man on LinkedIn Live ranting about not getting a speaking slot at a freaking expo. Come to think of it, you might have made the right call. Let's just say it was a, a fine call indeed. And that's the view from the mountaintop. We need to talk. Oh, it is 25 minutes till one. And we have some issues, ladies and gentlemen, and we need to talk. Jessica Ross, CEO and founder of Smash Tag Social, is here this afternoon. Hello, Jess. Hello. How are you? Oh, I am doing absolutely swimmingly. We, I'm totally fine. I am totally fine. We need to talk, Jess. And one of the most gratifying things that I have done recently, besides launching this fine radio-related entertainment show, is offer up my time at the end of the day for office hours, quote-unquote. So marketers from all around the world have been making appointments to talk shop, talk careers, and everything else from the world of marketing. And Jess, one of the things that has become very clear to me is that many marketers who've just embarked on their careers are missing out on a lot of important bits of knowledge. So, Jess, we need to talk about the things new marketers need to know, but just don't. And one of the big things that came out of those conversations is that plenty of marketing associates and marketing executives and junior marketing managers are kept in the dark about why they do the work that they do. So, as senior marketers, do we need to do more to reveal what's behind the marketing curtain? Jess, what do you think? Oh, I'm going to feel really biased on this uh, because I didn't have any kind of mentor or like any kind of guidance whatsoever when I first stepped into marketing. I very much was self-taught, did it all myself, literally learned everything that I could on my own. Um, so there's a big part of me that's kind of wants to say, well, just, you know, grow up. You can do it. Put your big boy pants on or your big girl boots on. Um, and and go out there and find it but I think there's probably too much at the moment of businesses that expect one person to be a whole marketing team and I think it's for junior marketers to understand that that's not normal uh, and I think in recruitment that is normal where one person is a whole team of people um, and they just need to know it's okay and it's it's not just them they are surrounded by others who are in exactly the same boat as them what was something that, if you remember back to when you first started your career, and you, you touched on a, an interesting aspect here about the, the lack of mentorship, the lack of guidance and having someone to sort of point you towards the North Star and say, that's where we're heading. But if there was one thing that you absolutely wished you knew when you were first starting, what would that be? It would have been to learn more about the data analysis side of things. I think like a lot of creative, I get really focused on you know, oh, we need to jazz it up and make it look pretty and, and do all the fun, exciting stuff, right? And actually, if you put a spreadsheet in front of me, my brain just kind of goes a bit like, no. Um, but actually, you do really need to understand, you know, you need to develop your data analysis skills because being able to understand and interpret data 
um, is absolutely crucial to help you make informed decisions and, and actually measure the success of your campaigns as well. Um, so it's no good making something look pretty if you then can't actually measure how well it performed afterwards. This is something which I, I, I agree with completely. And I think for me, I think it goes that little step further. It's, it's been able to understand the sort of the nitty gritty, the data related to marketing. But it's also about learning to understand the nitty gritty and the data of what makes a business as a whole function. And I, I think a lot about junior marketing exec executives who've been in the job for two years and you know they're at the point where it's, it's, it's natural to start thinking about how do we promote this person? How do we grow this person? And when it comes time to sort of start assessing that, you realize that for the past two years, they've spent an awful lot of time learning how to do marketing. And by that, I mean, they know the logins for all the social accounts. They know how to write a newsletter. They know how to update the website. But this is the core fundamentals of what makes marketing and business tick. Then missing out on that. And I think one of the things that us as senior marketers need to do more of is not only reveal more about the data side of things, but also help them under uh, explain this is what actually this this is how this business functions. So should you ever be questioned by someone who is not within marketing, let's say the the CFO or the finance director, someone who does not care about the marketing side of things at all, but cares an awful lot about the balance sheet, they come knocking on the door and saying, "Why are we doing this campaign? What difference is it going to make?" They should be able to explain that in not just marketing terms, but in business terms as well. I think that, that's, a massive learning, that's a massive learning curve for anyone who doesn't have like a degree in business or an MBA, but it's something I think senior marketers need to be able to share with junior marketers. Yeah, Joe, I saw a really funny, uh, it was like a kind of meme image the other day uh, in the London marketers where someone had shared a picture of uh, two sort of co-workers having a conversation and one was asking the other, why do we measure so many metrics? And there was like a table of like a thousand different metrics. Um, and the other one, clearly the more experienced one said, so that we can cherry pick the best results and just present those ones back. That's <laughs> exactly it, isn't it? it it's, I, I, one of the, the reasons I, I bring this up and it's, I remember reading a study, I may have heard this on a podcast or something along those lines, where it said that only one in 20 senior marketers, and I'm talking senior marketing manager and upwards, are able to read a balance sheet and be able to deduce from that balance sheet, balance sheet the state in which a company is in. And we talk an awful lot about how CMOs and senior marketers aren't trusted by the C-suite. And it's just a little bit, again, and I hate to talk about the cliche, but it is so true that we are the arts and crafts department, that we are the coloring and department, that we don't get business. We don't understand sales. We don't understand legal. We don't understand that. Uh, but I think it's high time that we did. And it's boring and it sucks and no one wants to spend their time in front of spreadsheets or you know watching chat GPT explain spreadsheets. But I feel like we do. I feel like we do. And it, it's, it's something we in order to grow, in order, order to develop and become senior marketers, we actually really do need to get our heads around this stuff. Well, my prediction for the future in the next three to five years is that we're going to move away from these silo teams and that actually it's going to become much more multidisciplinary. So, you know, sales need to understand marketing, marketing needs to understand sales, finance needs to be able to understand all of those combined and actually having teams working on projects together 
where you're running campaigns and everybody's involved in those conversations so that everybody understands at all levels what you're actually trying to achieve because I think that is the problem that you know you have got people in positions who don't understand why the other people are even there or they think they're just wishy-washy like you say with a jazz it up team right the coloring in department um but likewise you know I, I look at finance and I'm like god that's boring and dry as fuck but actually that you know for them that's their passion so we just have to make sure that we're educating people about why we're doing the things we're doing is ultimately the responsibility does it lie with us is it an hr function is it something that learning and development needs to embed into into the marketing team and and if and if so if it does lie with us what is the best way to kind of get that ball rolling um, yes and no. So I think ultimately the responsibility needs to lie with the founder, the CEO, the company. You need, need to be leading by example, involved in all conversations at all levels. Um, but yeah, it needs to. It need, everyone needs to be involved in that. HR, learning and development, you know, external teams as well coming in and, and doing training. But I think realistically, it's it needs to come from the new generation shifting that mindset because no offense to all the dinosaurs out there, but a lot of the dinosaurs out there don't want that change. I think this is that that's exactly it as well. I think that's as much as we want to say that marketing's the perception of marketing within a business is improving. And I think it, the needle is starting to shift, but by no means have we clocked it. And certainly there are so many old school, I'm going to say old school, you know, outdated, antiquated, boring dinosaurs who will refer to you condescendingly as the marketing girl or any other, you know, completely condescending, misogynistic waste of time uh, status you can think of. And, uh, you know, we're trying to up the game of marketing. We're trying to, you know, fight our corner and demonstrate the value because there is so much evidence to suggest that without marketing, you're screwed, particularly in, a, in an economic downturn. And yet we've got to fight those headwinds as well as bring junior marketers up up to speed, get them excited about the role, show them what the dream can look like. If you stick with us, you could be the next head of marketing. And we, we don't just mean that absentmindedly, we mean that for real. But it's certainly it's certainly something that I think we are, uh, or we're, uh, that we need, need to work on. Now this, ladies and gentlemen, you're gonna have to deal with me again for the next, hopefully for the next 30 seconds on my own, because Ross, in her infinite wisdom, tells me before we go live here on We Need To Talk that, She's expecting a delivery. And because she's expecting a delivery, she has abandoned the call. She's abandoned the call, abandoned Oliver in his hour of need. It is her delivery drug run, I can only assume. So I'm just going to cede the argument to myself. Congratulations to MJO for winning the debate. Oh, she's oh she's back. And what kind of what and can I can I ask what brand of crack did you get this week? Is it the A class crack? You know, because we're heading into summer, or are you slumming it with that B class crack that we only get in like you know this part of London? Absolutely, you are you are a crackhead after my own heart. <laughs> yes, it is. It is quarter to one here, and we need to talk. We need to talk, and we need to talk because, ladies and gentlemen, it is time. It's time. It's time to get gussied up, ladies and gentlemen. Time to put on the glad rags. Time to do a little bit of you know what. Because marketing LinkedIn is about to get even more insufferable than it already is. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, Cannes Lions season is upon us. 
when marketing's a relief, the hot shots with their massive budgets and screen time and anything else in between. They're rewarded for all their hard work, making a shit ton of money for all their clients. And it's made me think. When we think about the world of B2B awards in general, it's something that my CEO, a guy who's based in the US, doesn't understand at all. It's something that he himself has said, why does every industry in the UK have what he calls a fake Oscars night? And good God almighty if the man isn't right, Jess. I mean, have you ever stepped back and thought, Jesus, awards are just a bit weird, aren't they? Or is that just me? They're, they're not just weird. They are, oh, they, I, I, I don't have, my words aren't coming out because they are hypocritical, they're evil, they're just downright lies. And unfortunately, I've been a party to this in a previous uh, life when I was employed by somebody else. Um, I actually successfully helped them to get into the Sunday Times Top 100 uh, small companies in the UK um, and wrote the whole thing. I got all the information I needed. It was a massive submission. And I didn't find out until after we'd got it that half the information that I'd been provided with was absolute bullshit. And I had no idea. And my founders had literally just outright lied. But the fact that Sunday Times, like this is the Sunday Times, guys, there was absolutely no kind of verification or looking into it or interviewing anyone. They just took it, took them at their words. I mean, there you go. Spoiler alert, guys. If you want a Sunday Times award, just write whatever you want. I cannot believe that a publication owned by Rupert Murdoch would not bother to fact check something. That just, that's staggering to me. That's staggering to me. But it does kind of speak to ultimately the, the level of work that we in marketing end up putting into these damn things. Uh, on the ostensibly thinking that it's going to be a massive boon for the brand. And so think about it like on a one to 10 scale with one being an all expenses paid trip to Tahiti and 10 being launched into the center of the sun, how much of a pain in the ass are these award entries to put together? 11. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Is that number available? <laughs> oh, that number is available. And, and uh, it is, it, I, I cannot think of anything worse. And it's, it's, it's almost as if the, the, the creation of these awards was designed by a well-meaning, but ultimately evil little gremlin. I was going to say devil, but I don't want to disparage the fine folks who put together awards to make this as, as banal and as time consuming as possible. Uh, and it's it, it, you're right, it's everything. Every entry looks different. Ultimately, if you're a judge, you're going to be confronted by a whole lot of entries that look different. The evidence is all different. The scales of value are all different. It is ultimately a case of apples and oranges. And the complete cynic out there would say, well, whoever buys the most premium tables is going to end up winning anyway. Uh, Jess, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but there's some truth to that, isn't there? Yeah, at the end of the day, like when when we're looking at awards and, you know, previously when we've been attending these things, my first thought is, oh, wow, I can't wait to spend a whole evening in some crap conference center with a bunch of, you know, middle-aged white dudes in suits while my soul slowly dies listening to them talk about golf. That That's, that's how I feel. <laughs> it's, and this is such a, it's such a unique UK thing as well because my my CEO who who is based in the states it, it blows his mind and he he calls it the fake Oscars 
He's like, you know, you, you guys have this fake Oscars where you, you dress up and like you, you walk the red carpet. And he's completely right. Like, there's an awful lot of pretension and a whole lot of, dare say it, being up our own asses a little bit about how great they are. But strip all of that away. If we get back to the essence, is there any, any net benefits to winning these awards at all? I mean, look, you get some great PR from it if you've, you know, worked hard and actually put out a press release. And it can potentially lead to new partnerships. And generally, those partnerships are with the same people where you put out an article where you've signed a new two-month agreement. You know, the people who read that shit, the people who are going to continue to do business with you. Um, yeah, sure, you get to network with lots of other people at the event. But most of the time, that's just down in tequila shots at the bar with them. Um, I yeah, I don't get me wrong. I've en I've entered awards myself. It's completely, you know, self-deprecating in the sense that you, you do it just because you want to boost your ego and you want to get yourself out there. So great, do it. But for anyone who thinks they're genuine and that they're not all just fixed and it's not about just you know the client who's judging it, wanting to work with another client who's entered the award. Like as long as people aren't naive about it they can carry on i've no nothing against them happening but people need to go into it with their eyes wide open i i often wonder if people do do that and and if it's the we could do a little bit more and i i this is ironic given that i'm a kiwi and i'm living among a country of brits we need to be a little bit more cynical about this and i think a degree of cynicism needs to be applied and i say that up until the point that i win an award in which case it's the greatest honor I thank God and I feel God in this Chili's tonight. Anytime I will be happy to win an award, but I'm not going to win an award because I keep getting rejected by all the recruitment industry expo people anyway, but that's beside the point. I am fine with that. As we've established, I am totally fine with it. And is there a net benefit to it? Who is to say that that placebo effect, I think is short-lived, but hey, anything to kind of, wax the egos and kind of keep people happy i'd say and we are now i've got a secret to tell you michael no, go on, go on. i didn't want to say it at the beginning because i felt bad but i can't keep it in any longer so you know how you're totally fine with not being chosen to be a speaker at the rec expo i i believe that has been established yes that is that is case law yeah would you be totally fine finding out that i have 10 minutes to one here on we need to talk <laughs> i think we we do need to talk and we need to move swiftly along into pub chatter now where we imagine ourselves stood outside a bear garden in birmingham outside the recruitment agency expo on a beautiful summer's day here in blighty chit-chatting about the world of marketing and jess what would be on your mind outside the pub aside from buying crack and driving me insane with this talk of you being selected I mean, obviously, those are my two favorite things in the whole world anyway. Um, I mean, generally, my favorite marketing brainstorming sessions at the pub involve shots of tequila, questionable karaoke, and some kind of impromptu dance-off. I think, personally, that's what separates the real marketers from the posers. Um, but for me, I think, at the moment, the thing that seems to have sort of got my goat, I, you mentioned earlier, is ChatGPT. As somebody who specializes in copywriting, I'm getting absolutely fed up with agencies saying to me, oh, I don't need to pay a copywriter because I can just get ChatGPT to do it in 30 seconds. And I feel like I'm bashing my head against a 
brick wall at the moment because they just don't seem to understand the difference between AI and a real person. And it makes me very upset. And, and this is, uh, are you being inundated with examples of the work that the quote unquote stupid robot pushes out and told, isn't this great? Isn't this the best thing you've ever read? How, how deep into the, into the funk are they? I think the thing is, what I'm seeing at the moment on Indeed, LinkedIn, Read, everywhere, is you can tell which agencies are using ChatGPT for their like job descriptions and their ads because it's basically copy and paste all these different companies. They're putting in the same prompt, so they get basically the same answer with a couple of minor changes. And it just means what they're doing is actually getting washed out in a sea of ChatGPT job descriptions which means that what they were doing to try and save time and make their job adverts sound better are actually making them look like a pile of shit, um, to put it nicely. <laughs> I, I I absolutely agree, and I think this is also music to a certain Mitch Sullivan's ears because this is exactly what he's been talking about. The idea that, yes, you may conveniently rewrite a job description and it may look passable, but that the core tenets of what make people inspired to apply for a job are completely absent. And so it's just banality and mediocrity at scale. Uh, and the other thing, I think the thing that most copy teams, in fact, anyone who thinks that they can replace any copywriters with ChatGPT fail to understand, is that yes, you can generate fantastic, fantastic quote-unquote copy, or certainly copy that looks like it meets the brief, but it still needs to be edited. And that needs to be edited by someone who has, you know, with all due respect to the stupid robot, a human brain. And the thing about editing is it's actually a thousand times harder than drafting something. Like you can get any old shit out on the first draft. You can, you can just write anything you need to get, on, get it all out on paper. But when you edit it, that's when you have to make it good. And so that is a uniquely human skill set. It's, it's made doubly hard by the fact that you're not understanding the process of a human brain conceiving ideas you're dealing with a robot who has compiled ideas based on whatever data it's been fed and i don't think people appreciate that editing is an extremely hard thing to do well the thing is all they're doing is copy and pasting their current job spec they've been given by the hiring manager pasting it into chat gpt and saying make this sound better and that's literally all they're doing there's nothing around language or tone of voice or the audience demographics. And actually, and again, this is where we come back to data and how important it is to actually understand the audience that you're writing for. Um, you know, it, people don't understand that when they're writing these prompts, you know, sure, they can come out even better if you give the AI a better prompt, like for sure. But it's not going to be able to replace the individual nuances of a copywriter that can actually understand your brand your recruiters, your customers, and ultimately your clients as well, because you're you're having to write in both your tone of voice and your client's tone of voice, which is a very difficult thing for an AI to try and mesh together without it sounding really fucking weird. It's exactly it, and it does sound weird. It does sound like it's an alien who's arrived on Earth and is trying to emulate our, our speech. This is an extremely weird thing. I completely agree. The Moving on to what I would be, be bringing to the pub, and, and for me right now, Jess, I am literally obsessed with the story of a now former risk advisor from Deloitte who published a post on LinkedIn praising the dark charisma of Hitler. 
he he this guy he was based in India. He went on and as part of a Friday inspiration post, extolled the virtues of how charismatic and exciting Adolf Hitler was. And I thought initially when I saw it, it was a bit. This guy was doing a bit, and it was you know kind of like that edge lord shock jock bullshit that I've started to see all over LinkedIn with people who are like, oh, if I say the word penis, that's going to get me engagement. I will say anything because I'm a badass. And I thought, okay, this is just an extension of that. But this guy was for real. He is actually for real. He wanted to inspire the LinkedIn masses with talk of the guy who, you know, killed six million plus people. And it, it's, it's insane. The guy has since been fired. Uh, Deloitte quite politely said, you know, this man no longer works for us. And questions arise as to how this was allowed to happen in the first place. But this is the thing about, I think this, this speaks to what I just mentioned about LinkedIn and the obsession people have with just getting over with the crowd, getting engagement at all costs, and we're just posting any old shit. And there must be a point where the market or indeed us, the, the, those of us who are on this website, this cursed website, almost by, just by virtue of needing to be here, that we all say, okay, enough is enough. We can make this place better. We can, we can make the discussions better. We can make them richer. We can make them more exciting. But my God, people just don't learn, do they, Jess? I mean, don't get me wrong. My, you know, my company's tagline is content marketing your mum would probably hate. Like, we like to push the envelope. But I think you can call, you can refer to something like charismatic and, you know, action taker and a visionary without referencing Hitler. Like, I'm pretty sure there's, you know, at least two or three other people that I can think of in the whole planet. Not many, but there's definitely a few others you could have chosen. Um, you know, like, I, I think, you know, why not go to Putin? Like, you know, you just go for it. Like, if you're going to do it, you know, just reference all of the other really nice people in the world that also have those qualities. Don't don't just stick to one, you know, really nail it and get the whole group in. All of the hipster indie kids are repping the Kumar Rouge and Pol Pot. I heard that is the, the hot thing to do on hipster LinkedIn. It's to say, yo, we don't like wearing glasses anymore like our good friends in the Kumar Rouge for bullet for that. And that's probably going to get us cancelled here on We Need to Talk. I want to say thank you to Jess Ross for joining us and to every single one of you for tuning in this afternoon. We will be back next week where I will be joined. A very special guest is joining me next week. I'm very excited because, indeed, we always have issues, friends, and, indeed, we need to talk. And until next time, I'm MJO, Jess Ross. See you then.